Let's pray and ask for the Lord to help us. Almighty God, we praise you for your word that reveals who you are, your glory, your might, your majesty, your power, your grace. Lord, we pray that you'd open our eyes, our minds, our hearts to the powerful Saviour Jesus that we have. Help us to respond in faith, greater faith, a willingness to give him our all and follow him all our days in response. May all that I, I say and preach, may it be pleasing in your sight, may it be true and helpful for all who are listening. We ask this for the glory of Jesus. Amen. I know the principal at a theological seminary in Pakistan. His name's Kassar. In September 2013, two suicide bombers detonated their devices in the grounds of a church in Pakistan. As worshippers were exiting their church in Peshawar after the morning service, the bombs went off and 139 people were killed and dozens more were injured. This shocking attack traumatised the Christian community and Christians throughout Pakistan uh, as fear and insecurity increased. One of the coordinators at the seminary, Naeem Nazir, was among the dead, along with his wife and brother and and daughter. Only his 15-year-old son survived. His name was Shalom. I wonder, how would you expect Shalom to respond Suffering makes some people question God's existence or God's love. I'm sure that some people ask, is Jesus really worth following? Despite Shalom's mother and father and sister being killed, his faith remained strong. He said, although I've lost my father and mother, I know that God is always with me and he will never leave or forsake me. Sometimes following Jesus is costly, but faith like that inspires me. Today I pray that we'll be moved to put our faith in and follow the Lord Jesus who is powerful. Last week we read how Jesus healed a leper and the centurion's servant and then Peter's mother-in-law. And if you look at verse 16, in the evening, all the sick and the demon-possessed came to him. I'm sure that Jesus was exhausted from a long day of preaching the Sermon on the Mount and and healing all these people, and I'm sure he needed rest. And he asked to go to the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. Two men before that, though, they say that they want to follow him. But as we learn, that won't be easy. Follow him is our first of three points today. So a teacher of the law, a scribe, that's someone who knows the law of Moses and their Hebrew Bible really well, he says to Jesus, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Whether it was Jesus' impressive teaching or his powerful healings, he thought that this Jesus is worth following. Now Jesus had just said, let's go to the other side of the lake. You see, Jesus is always on the move. Remember in Jesus' Uh, public ministry in those last three years of his life on earth he has no home yes as he says foxes have holes birds have nests the son of man has no place to lay his head 
We'll see in Matthew's Gospel, as we continue through this book, that being a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, it involves sacrifice, self-denial, submission, service, even suffering. And so Jesus wants this person, this man, to be clear about what he's getting into, what he's committing to. In those last three years of Jesus' earthly life, following him usually involved following him physically, going where he went. And today, while it is different, it still involves sacrifice and self-denial and suffering, submission, service. I really love this book by Tim Chester, The Ordinary Hero, that helps us to think about how those five S words Uh, is still a call for you and I today. But for all of us, whether we're literally walking behind Jesus as they did or something different for us, Jesus must still come before and be more important than our home and stability, than our family and security and comfort. Another disciple says, verse 21, Lord, I'll go with you. First let the... First, let me go and bury my father. I think at first glance, Jesus' words here seem harsh. Follow me or keep following me and let the dead bury their own dead. It seems that Jesus hasn't read the book on how to win friends and influence people. It seems insensitive, but the issue surely is not that the man actually needed to get his father, his dead father's body, into a tomb and buried nor do I think he's actually forbidding the man attending his father's funeral. It's possible in that culture that what he's saying is his father's actually not even dead yet, but in his final months or even final years. Or Jesus might have been asking the man to give up the seven days of intense mourning that occurred after a Jewish family member died or the 30 days of mourning after that that would also occur. But why? Why give up this? Because following Jesus is costly. Jesus is saying that following me, it must come before personal comfort and before family, and yes, even before obligations to parents. That's like what he'll say soon in chapter 10. Um, Chapter 10 from verse 37. He says that we need to love Jesus before our mother or our father, before our son or our daughter. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now, yes, following Jesus will normally mean, normally include respecting and providing for our parents, but we must love Jesus more. Missionary who leaves their family to go to another country or culture is to make that decision too. He must matter more to us than our home or our family, and we must be willing to leave that if we have to. Is that true for you? Do you love him more? He demands total commitment or no commitment. So are you willing to commit to Christ? Will you follow Jesus or or keep on following him and show your faith in your action? 
Also, if we're trying to convince someone else to become a Christian, what Jesus said here tells us that we need to not only talk about the positives. So when I'm speaking with a non-Christian friend or neighbour, I will talk about how trust in Jesus brings forgiveness of sins, eternal life, relationship with God now and forever, real fulfilment, ultimate joy, and they're all true. But here we see Jesus saying, are you first willing to pay the cost? Willing to sacrifice? We need to ask that too. Colin Buchanan sings, Jesus is number one, right at the top where he belongs. Who he is and what he's done makes Jesus number one. I ask, is he number one in your life? Fiona was a good girl from a church-going family who went to church because that's what you do. She knew about God. She'd even been a youth leader and joined Bible studies. And Fiona says, I thought when you do stuff for God, that makes you a Christian. Outwardly, adult life looked great. She had a successful career, a wonderful husband, kids too. And, but getting to church became less of a priority. I wonder if for some people COVID has done that too. Fiona says, I had lots of head knowledge, head knowledge about God, but I was spiritually dead from the neck down. Then one day she went to a special church service and she felt God saying, are you going to be obedient? Are you going to listen to my voice? And that was the turning point for her. Fiona says, it became a heart transformation in me and I came alive. I could accept the love that Jesus was offering me. I could trust him, knowing I could change my life, knowing that it wasn't really about me, but it had everything to do with God. Fiona knew that it meant that even if she had to change, Jesus was worth living for. He was worth following. In verse 23, Jesus gets into the boat and all the disciples that choose to follow him, they follow him and unbeknownst to them, they will experience a trial that forces them to ask, will I trust Jesus? Point two is faith in him. So suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake, so the waves swept over the boats, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Furious storm in the original Greek is literally a great shaking. And in the Greek, the word for shaking is seismos, from which we get seismic, earthquakes. Picture a little boat being smashed by the waves and swamped by the waves in this great storm. And amazingly, presumably Jesus being exhausted and I think too, trusting his heavenly father peacefully. He's sleeping in the back. In absolute desperation, fearing for their lives, they wake Jesus up crying, Lord, save us, we're going to die. And Jesus replies, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And then he tells off the wind and and the waves and it goes completely calm. 
Literally, the great storm became a great calm because of the words of Jesus. Despite their lack of faith, he he calms the storm with mere words. Like last week, it highlights Jesus' matchless, incomparable power. These miracles, they are signs that he is the king of God's kingdom. He has power over disease and sickness. Now we see he's got power over nature. But who has such power? I can't stop, ask the wind to stop blowing. Weather doesn't obey me. Psalm 65 says that God stilled the roaring seas. In Psalm 107, it talks about the Lord making the huge swell and the waves. And then people rise up and fall down on them. But then when men call out to him in their trouble, Psalm 107 verse 29 says, The Lord stills the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed and grew calm. Sound familiar, doesn't it? Jesus does this. He has the power over the sea and the storm, the power of God himself. Matthew 8 then is saying that Jesus has the power of God because he is God. In Matthew 8, 27, the disciples rightly amazed at Jesus' power. They ask, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And that's just the point, isn't it? He's no mere man. Back in verse 20, Jesus described himself for the first time in the book as the son of man. And the background to that title is in Daniel chapter 7, which we read earlier. There we're told one like a son of man approached the ancient of days and was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All people, all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion's an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus fulfills this. Jesus is the Son of Man who's been given power and authority. He will rule forever, and all people do. They will and they do worship him, don't they? Us included. But it's only right for people to worship him because he is God. He is God the Son, the all-powerful one. Notice when Jesus is woken up and the wind and the waves, they're still roaring. The waves are crashing over the boat. And yet at this point even, Jesus still has things under control. He wakes up. And while the storm still rages, in verse 26, he wants his followers to trust him. Why? Because he's in control, even when things feel out of control. Jesus is saying, with me here, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to fear. Trust me. You don't even need to fear dying. Trust me. Like 15-year-old Shalom in Pakistan did. In life or in death, Jesus calls us to trust him. A pastor was on a long flight. Maybe we'll get to do that again one day. 
And the first warning of approaching problems came when a sign on the airplane plane flashed on, fasten your seatbelts. And, and after a while, a calm voice said, we'll not be serving beverages at this time because we're expecting some turbulence. Please remain seated and be sure that your seatbelt is fastened. As the pastor looked around the aircraft, it became obvious that many passengers were starting to become apprehensive. And then the storm broke. Ominous cracks of thunder could be heard. Lightning lit up the darkening skies. And within moments, the great plane was being tossed like a cork around on a celestial ocean. One moment the plane was lifted up, the next it dropped like a rock as if we were about to crash. The pastor confessed that he shared the discomfort and fear of those around him. And he said, as I looked around the plane, I could see that nearly all the passengers were upset and alarmed. Some were praying. The future seemed ominous and many were wondering if we really would make it through this storm. And suddenly I noticed a little girl. Apparently the storm meant nothing to her at all. She tucked her feet beneath her as she sat on her seat, calmly reading her book. Everything within her small world was calm and orderly. When the plane was being buffeted by the terrible storm, as it rose and fell with frightening severity, when all the adults were scared half to death, that marvellous child was completely composed, unafraid. pastor could hardly believe it. So when the plane finally reached its destination and all the passengers hurried off, the pastor lingered to speak to the little girl whom he'd watched for such a long time. Having commented about the storm and the plane, he asked why she had not been afraid. And the child replied, because my daddy's the pilot and he's taking me home. Faith drives out fear. Faith in our good heavenly Father and our mighty Lord Jesus will drive out our fear too. Because our Saviour Jesus is powerful, we have no need to be afraid of anything. When something bad comes, our Lord will either protect us from it, sustain us in it, or bring us home to himself. Protect us from it, sustain us in it, or bring us home. There are many kinds of storms that buffet us, physical and mental, financial, domestic, relationships and so on, but many storms that can easily and quickly darken our skies and throw our severe plane into turbulence, so to speak. We've all known such times, and some do more than others. And let's be honest and admit that it's much easier to rest when our feet are firmly on the ground than when we're tossed about in a darkened, turbulent sky or sea. We must 
remind ourselves of who is powerfully in control. So many of God's children are floundering on the waves of normal daily life, unaware that he, the rock eternal, is underneath, immediately beneath any size wave. And he is the master of the sea and storm, even when it doesn't feel like it. Trust Jesus in the storms of your life. Because he is the powerful one. And this is our final point. We've seen Jesus' power over sickness, his power over nature. Now we see his power over evil. Jesus has arrived at the other side of the lake, or the Sea of Galilee. And you'll see that marked on uh, this map. The Gentile area called the Decapolis is on the right. And Mark chapter 5 and Luke 8, they have the same account, but they only record one man possessed by multiple demons. Not that that's necessarily a contradiction. They don't say there's only one man, but maybe one man was more violent or did most of the speaking. In verse 29, the demon-possessed men, they come to Jesus. And the demons speaking through the men shouted, What do you want with us, Son of God? After Jesus calmed the storm, the disciples asked, Who is this man? And now, funnily, I think, they get the answer from some demons. He is the Son of God. And amazingly, these demons know that their time before Judgment Day is limited. It seems that they know that they will suffer at the judgment and that the Son of God will bring that judgment. But it seems that they don't realise that the powers of darkness are already broken with the arrival of the King of God's kingdom. Jesus now has authority over evil. In verse 31, they beg Jesus to allow them to go into the pigs. It seems they desire a bodily home. Excuse me. Why did Jesus allow them to enter the pigs? We don't know. We're not told. But it does prove to all the onlookers that the demons had left the men. And it shows the true value of human beings. Much ink has been spilled by Bible scholars about the death of the pigs, by writers who no doubt love their bacon for breakfast, their pork for dinner, or the movie Babe. But the point is not about the pigs. A friend said to me just this week, If you're so concerned for the pigs which die and you're more worried for them than the men, then you're just like the people of this town. Clearly to Jesus, these two people mattered more than many pigs. And people should matter more to us too. With a word, Jesus commands the violent demons to leave. It shows the absolute power, the confronting authority of this God-man who has more power than 
these destructive forces of evil. And the death of the pig shows that, that evil is just destructive. You might still have questions about this story. I don't think I'll have all the answers. But let's not fail to see the main points. Jesus' power over evil and the value he places on these two men's lives. And Jesus is still the powerful one who rules over evil. One of my brothers in his late teens was severely depressed and suicidal. Nothing helped, not counsellors, not medication, until some Christians in South Australia prayed for him. And that day he got healed of his depression. He was saved. And when I saw him afterwards that afternoon, there was a brightness to his eyes that I'd not seen for years. And he said he felt physical things leaving his body. I'm not saying that all depression has demonic causes. I am saying that Jesus is still powerful over evil. And when you face evil, cry out to Jesus and trust him. Let me tell you another true story. Excuse me. One one day, a man named Tazim was listening to the radio and he heard a Christian talk about the gospel. He'd never heard about Jesus before. The message spoke of Jesus, uh, of the forgiveness that comes through Jesus' sacrifice, about the salvation of souls. He heard about God's love and of the power of prayer. And he wanted to know more. And in his Muslim village, he tracked down a woman who was known to sing praise songs to God. She helped him come to Jesus, and she became like his mother. One day, the mother of the sheikh in the town began to manifest demonic spirits. She was taken to witch doctors and then to Muslim leaders who read the Quran to her. The sheikh tried everything he could everything he could think of to set his mother free from the demons that were gripping her body and soul. But he could find no answers. Suddenly, one afternoon, the mother, in a brief moment of clarity, she just announced, I must go to the home of the old mother and her boy. And she ran from the sheikh's home to the Christian woman's house. And once she crossed the doorway of the home, her body froze and she collapsed on the floor, helpless. For eight days, she lay on a mat, unable to move, eat, or speak. For eight days, Tazim and the old mother prayed. And then on the eighth day, the evil spirits left her. She stood up, she spoke, she ate. Word spread through the village immediately. The sheikh's mother is healed. The spirits are defeated. The sheikh heard and came running and saw his mother in her right mind and he fell on his knees and he begged Tazim to teach him about God. 
That day, the sheikh and his mother became followers of Jesus. Others came to faith too. And then there were others, other Muslims, who rejected the message and the messengers. And we see the same happen. The same rejection of Jesus happened in Matthew chapter 8. When the pig farmers run off to tell everyone what happened, what's the response? Look at verse 34. The whole town comes out and they beg Jesus to leave. We saw last week the centurion begs Jesus for help. These men and women beg Jesus to leave. It's amazing, isn't it? Yes, maybe they're angry that their income and property has been decimated, but these two men's lives have been turned around and healed. To them, the pigs mattered more than the people. The locals didn't care about the tortured men and they don't value Jesus. Did they resent his righteousness that exposed their sin? Or did they resent his power that exposed their weakness? Did they resent his compassion that exposed their hard hearts? We don't know. But either way, they had no interest in Jesus. They didn't care if he was good or from God. They just wanted him to go away. They don't want him as their Lord and Saviour. And I think that's like most people today. People don't want a powerful Jesus who rules, a Lord they should submit to and obey, a Lord they should listen to and follow. I hope that's not you. So as I conclude, we come back to where we started. Do you want to follow Jesus? Will you make him and Keep him number one in your life. Will you trust him in the storm when it still rages? He's worth trusting because he's a powerful son of God. He can be trusted. He's worth following to the end, whatever comes. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, for what we've read today that reminds us of the supreme power of the Lord Jesus over many evil spirits all at once. He rules over nature, over evil, over everything. Lord, when uh, challenges and storms or evil come against us, may we not fear but be filled with faith And Lord, we pray that your spirit would help us to respond with persevering trust, to love Jesus more than our homes and our stuff, more than our loved ones, our family, our parents. May he matter more to us than anyone and anything. Give us grace to turn from lusting after idols, the idols of the heart. Give us grace to trust Jesus when life is hard. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us always. Amen.